All right, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1. I'm not going to really do much of a review. If you weren't here last week and you need to catch up, that's what the podcasts are for. But I will say this. If you had to put a word above each chapter of Habakkuk, three chapters, you would put sighing above chapter 1, because that's what the prophet's doing. He's sighing based upon what's going on. In chapter 2, it would be seeing... And in chapter 3, it would be singing. He totally changes his perspective and outlook through his interaction with the Lord. And if there's a key verse of the entire book, it would really be the very last verse of the book. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. In fact, this is a great verse to memorize, underline, put on your refrigerator, take with you throughout the day. The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. And we talked about the fact last week, it means that God will make us sure-footed and stable, like the deer here that can navigate those crevices and those rocks on those high mountains and high places. Or even last week, we used the example of the bighorn sheep that literally are designed by God, their, their hooves, their feet, to be able to, you know, grab a hold of the terrain that they are uh, on. What, what Habakkuk is saying is, God is going to enable me to travel over the most difficult ground that I have to travel in my lifetime. And, and he's going to build this high-altitude faith, this mountain-climbing faith, into my life. How's he going to do that? Well, in Habakkuk chapter 1, let's go back there for just a moment, and we're going to pick it up there tonight. Let's get a little bit of, again, understanding of where Habakkuk is. He is a prophet of God who is mourning over the condition of the southern kingdom of Judah. They are totally into idolatry. They have forsaken the living God. They are just in a terrible spiritual state. And he keeps calling out to God, God, why aren't you doing something about this? And so God gives him an answer. And the answer is certainly very unexpected and perplexing to the prophet. The prophet is expecting something like God's going to send some missionaries in and and God's going to bring revival. And God's answer is, I'm already empowering the Babylonians, this ruthless and merciless people, to come into Judah and to judge Judah because of her sin. They're going to invade. They're going to take Jerusalem siege. They're going to take captives back and and begin the Babylonian exile that we learn about in the Bible. This was the answer that the Lord gave to Habakkuk. And we saw last week that God's ways are often mysterious, misunderstood, and yet sure. That's sort of the message of the first 11 verses of Habakkuk chapter 1. Because what we learn about trying to navigate the high places in life, if you will, is that we've got to get to a place as followers of God where we are willing to follow a God we don't always understand. Sometimes he's going to do things that just, we just scratch our heads and go, I don't get it, God. I don't understand your ways, you see. 
And that's where Habakkuk is. He is just totally blown away by the fact that out of all the answers that God could have given him, of how God was going to deal with the sin of Judah, this nation, the Lord's answer was, I'm going to send the Babylonians in and they are going to be my instrument of judgment upon my people in order to ultimately turn them back to me. And then in the rest of the verses there, from like verse 6 through verse 11, God basically gives Habakkuk a, a quick resume of really how ruthless and merciless the Babylonians are, this instrument that he has now raised up to use in Judah's life. So we left the prophet last week sort of scratching his head. And that's actually a good place to to end, and we're sort of going to end in a similar place tonight, because sometimes that's where we're left in our life. God hasn't necessarily given us an answer yet. We don't have any more insight yet. We're just sort of left to just sort of scratch our head at the ways of God, you see. Now, tonight, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1, Habakkuk gives us a wonderful blueprint to follow whenever we are faced with a decision by God that bewilders and astonishes us. In a sense, Habakkuk the prophet was given the cup of astonishment to drink. He was perplexed. You ever been there with God? Where God's ways and God's will and and God's methods and God's means just totally astonish and bewilder us. Well, Habakkuk is going to show us what do we do What should we do in a time like that? There are three things we're going to see tonight from verses 12 of chapter 1 through verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to talk about each of these tonight. The first thing we see is the prophet worships the eternal Holy One. The prophet worships the eternal Holy One. That's the very first thing. Thing that Habakkuk does. Notice it says in verse 12 of Habakkuk chapter 1, after he gets this news that the Lord is raising up the wicked Babylonians to judge his people. And remember we said even last week, Habakkuk, one of the reasons he's scratching his head is he's saying, God, the cure's worse than the sickness. These people are worse than we are. I don't get it. And we're going to see that again tonight. But the first thing he does after receiving this news is he goes to God in worship of him. Notice he says, Lord, you have been active from ancient times. My sovereign God, you are immortal. These are the truths of which Habakkuk had absolute confidence in. We see here that he is affirming some of his great fundamental convictions about the nature of God. This is where you and I need to begin and start when we are totally bewildered and astonished at the things that God is doing. We need to start with what we know about God 
rather than focusing on what we don't yet understand or what we don't know about God. Let me repeat that. There's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we don't understand in certain situations. But God always, and it's very good for all of us to always come back, especially when we're in a season of life where we're just totally perplexed, totally bewildered, totally astonished at... God, are you not answering? Do you not hear my prayers? Why are you not moving? Because we talked about last week, God can seem inactive for long periods of time, even though he's not. And all these things. What do we do? We worship. And we worship by coming back to the things that we do know about our God. That's what worship is. Remember, Jesus even said that God is looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And and we need to, as we are doing here, we need to continue to worship God with our spirit. To put our all and our passion and our energy into it. This is what we can give to God for all that He is and all that He has done for us. But we also need to balance, if you will, our spirit and our enthusiasm for worship with truth. Because We can be as enthusiastic and and all of that as we want to about God and excited about God, but if we're not worshiping Him in or with the truth, then our worship is in vain. And the same thing is true the other way around. So many churches that I used to be involved with, they had the truth down, but you couldn't get them excited about worship at all. And we need both in our lives. God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit And in truth. And Habakkuk was starting with the truth that he knew about God. Now, here's the important thing. That means that it's very essential that we as Christians have somewhat of a foundation of truth in our life. And that there are certain foundational convictions about God that we can go back to. This is part of the problem, if you will, today in many churches where... uh, The teaching is shallow and where Christianity is shallow and where Christians are shallow is they don't have a spiritual foundation to go back to when things are really hard and things. They they can't affirm anything because they don't really know much of anything about God. But Habakkuk does. And that's where he goes back to. Notice again, he says, Lord, you have been active from ancient times. My sovereign God, you are immortal. You know what he's reminding himself of? Is that, you know, in this particular season of his life, again, he's facing, as well as the rest of Judah, the invasion of the Babylonians, the siege of Jerusalem eventually, and then captivity in Babylon. Exile. To be taken out of their homeland and moved somewhere else. The only thing I could compare it to, how we could maybe get our minds around this, is if sometime during the Cold War, if God would have allowed Russia to literally come in and take over America and then take us back to Russia as exiles. It would have been the same thing. Think of how, that, how we would have felt as Americans having an outside country come into our country, literally defeat us, take us over, and then take us back to their home as exiles. That's what was happening here. And yet, knowing he was faced with that, he goes back to what he knows about God. That's where it all has to start. 
for you and I personally, very personally, let me make this very personal. That's where you and I need to go, say, if we go to the doctor and get some really bad news. What should be the first thing that we do of how to deal with it, how to handle it? Get alone with God and begin affirming the things we know about God. Telling ourselves the truth about God. Don't let the circumstances and the the news and the things that are going on in our life and how topsy-turvy our life is keep us from focusing our minds and our hearts. And notice, Habakkuk did everything he could to basically pull up every amount of faith that he had in God to direct his thoughts and his mind and his heart to keep it stayed upon Jehovah, if you will, here. And this isn't the only time that you see this sort of way of responding to God when things are totally going bonkers in people's lives. Keep your finger there in Habakkuk. I want to show you this real quick. Go over to the New Testament book of Acts. To Acts chapter 4. This is the place where, in a sense, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel, is like the Babylonians. They have basically uh, said to uh, the early disciples... You've got to stop speaking in the name of this Jesus and preaching in the name of this Jesus. And yet there was this fire burning within them that they could not contain. And yet they knew that if they let this fire out, then the fires of persecution were going to start against them. And so as they're released from the Sanhedrin, notice what happens in verse 24 of chapter 4 of Acts. What did they do? The Bible says when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, Master of all, you who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. What are they doing? They are worshiping. They are affirming what they believe about God. Who said by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our forefathers, why did the nations rage? And the peoples plot foolish things. The kings of the earth stood together and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Christ. For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together in this city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. To do as much as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. And now, Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant to your servants to speak your message with great courage while you extend your hand to heal and to bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice what they are doing. They're worshiping. They are affirming who God is in their life and his plan. And notice the response of God. As they breathe out their worship to God, notice that in verse 31, God breathes upon them a new measure of the Holy Spirit so that they can not pull back, but actually continue with great boldness and courage to speak the Word of God. God shakes that place in verse 31. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously. He didn't, God didn't take the persecution away. God didn't take the hard time away. What God did do with his people when they worshipped him was strengthen them 
to face whatever they needed to face. To have that high altitude faith. That mountain climbing faith that doesn't, you know, escape things, but is able to literally go over the mountain, you see. That's what God wants to do with his people. And that's what God wanted to do with Habakkuk. And Habakkuk started in the right place. He had that approach to God. Listen, he, was, he didn't, like a lot of Christians, it wasn't just, God, I just want a pat answer from you. Because God will never usually just give us those pat answers to check off our boxes that we want. Because we can't put God in a box. What God wants to do in our lives is raise the level of our faith. And that always starts with our worship. That's why worship is important. And notice how, the, again, worship and the word go hand in hand. They, they always go hand in hand. The more we know of the word, the more we worship, the more we worship, the more it drives us back to his word. They work in conjunction with each other. And that's exactly what he did. Another thing I want to show you back in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12 is what does Habakkuk concentrate on when he's worshiping? Sort of the eternality or immortalness of God. God, you've always been, you always will be. You are outside of time, you are above time, you are beyond time, you are timeless. And why is that important at this particular time? Because again, Habakkuk was in a season where he was getting ready to experience some unpleasant things. And yet it was like, but God... You're still going to be there when all this is over. And it was almost like he could understand the Babylonians won't always be around. See, the threats that we get so upset about and, that, and, that, and things that, that sort of maybe uh, seem like they're overwhelming at the time, they don't last compared to God. God is, is always has always been and always will be. And these things just come and go in the flow of history. I mean, you think about down through history, all the groups of people and maybe Christians that thought this is the end, this is it, just like the people in Judah would have done. Well, that's just it. The Babylonians, they're the world power. They're going to be here forever. Do you realize that the reign of the Babylonians was like 70 years? As far as world powers go, they were probably one of the shortest lived world powers ever. 70 years. Great. Nebuchadnezzar hanging gardens of Babylon. But they didn't last very long, especially compared to the eternality and immortalness of God. Think about how people felt when, when Stalin came to power and Mussolini and Hitler and Chairman Mao. And, and even today, we think of ISIS and, and, and the guy in North Korea, Kim, Kim Jong-un. And we think, oh my goodness. And to God, these people will be forgotten. God will always be. These things come and go. They don't last and that, that can give us, hopefully, the, the things that you're dealing with right now, the struggles that you're going through, maybe the season of life that you're having, it won't last, but God does. And that's why we've got to put our worship and our hope and everything on God. He is our rock. Which is what I love that Habakkuk uses in verse 12. Uh, the word in the Net Bible is protector. In your version, it may be rock or mighty God. It's, Lord, you've made them your instrument of judgment, protector. You have appointed them as your instrument of punishment. The end of verse 12. It means protector, rock, mighty God. It is describing God as a place of refuge for the trusting believer. And this word is used in Psalm 18, verse 2. Would you look at that very quickly with me? Psalm 18, verse 2. One of my favorite verses out of the Psalms. 
that really emphasizes God as our mighty God, our rock, our protector, our refuge. Psalm 18, verse 2. Notice what the psalmist says. The Lord is my high ridge, my stronghold, my deliverer. My God is my rocky summit where I take shelter, my shield, the horn that saves me, and my refuge. Wow. I love that verse. Psalm 18, verse 2. And those words speak about, are the same Hebrew word that is used there in Habakkuk 1.12 for protector, mighty God, or our rock. God's our rock. He's eternal. He's always there. Other things come and go. So that's where Habakkuk started. He started with worship. But then you'll notice in verse 12, back in the middle of the verse, the second thing we see in this passage is the prophet wrestles with the Lord over his decision. He does. He actually questions God about what he's doing. Notice after he worships, he does this. So that's important too. Listen, before we can be honest with God, we need to be honest about God. We do. And so first of all, Habakkuk starts with being honest about God. God, this is who I know you are. In spite of this Babylonian you know, invasion that you are, uh, you know, you're getting ready to do on us, this is who I know you to be. But now, God, I've got to be honest with you. He says, Lord, you've made them your instrument of judgment? Protector, you've appointed them as your instrument of punishment? I just don't understand this, God. You're too just to tolerate evil. You're unable to condone wrongdoing. So why do you put up with such treacherous people? Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those more righteous than they are? In other words, he's, the, the problem that Habakkuk's having is, I know, God, that we have forsaken you as your people, Judah. But they're worse than we are. I don't get it, God. How are you, how are you somehow able to, to do something right out of this when you're using somebody worse than us to judge us? And then he says in verse 14, and he's starting to, to talk about the Babylonians as these great fishermen. He said, you made people like fish in the sea, like animals in the sea that have no ruler." The Babylonian tyrant pulls them all up with a fish hook. He hauls them in with his throw net. When he catches them in his drag net, he's very happy. He, he's picturing the Babylonian army as, the, as these great fishermen are just literally fishing through the sea of humanity and just pulling in the fish in their great drag nets. Because of his success, verse 16, he offers sacrifices to his throne net and burns incense to his drag net. And this is part of the problem Habakkuk had is that he knew his God would not share his glory with anyone or anything. And yet he says, God, when they defeat us, when they do all this to us, they're not going to give you glory. They're going to take the glory for it. Again, how then are you glorified in this? By the way, the, the imagery that he's using there is actually very realistic. The Babylonians, history tells us, when they took the people captive, would literally put a hook in their bottom lip and they would literally string them together as captives and drag them off to Babylon. I don't know about you, but that probably wouldn't have felt too good. And so he's using the whole fishhook thing, not only as, again, an imagery, but it actually happened. That's exactly what the Babylonians did to their captives. They literally would put a hook into the bottom lip of their captives and they would string them all together so that they would walk together to the place where they were exiled. 
Because of his success, he offers these sacrifices. Because of them, he has plenty of food, more than enough to eat. Will he then to continue to fill and empty his throne net? Will he always destroy nations and spare none? God, I, I can't see an end to this. And yet he starts out with, but God, I know who you are. Now, I want to say this. It's very important here that we do understand that God never chastises or rebukes Habakkuk for wrestling with him over these things. He doesn't. He never says, Habakkuk, you shouldn't have questioned me about this. He doesn't say that at all. Any more than he said that to Abraham when Abraham, same thing, came to him after he heard about Sodom and Gomorrah and says, God, but if there's 50 if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's even 10. Because here's what God appreciates. God understands that there are things that he does and times and seasons in our lives where we are at a loss, where we are perplexed, where we are bewildered and astonished. And the thing that God is looking for, honestly, folks, is just that we be real with him and not put on this face like everything's okay when everything's not okay. That somehow we don't have a problem with God whenever we really do have a problem. I mean, that's one of the reasons why so many Christians identify with the Psalms. Because in many of the Psalms, the psalmists, whether it's David or the sons of Korah or somebody else, they're like, God, where are you? Why are you allowing all this to happen? See, God appreciates transparency. And even though it's crazy, we know in a sense in our minds to argue with God, because God's always right, right? Yet God appreciates the fact that we're in there sort of wrestling with him. Because remember what the name Habakkuk means? It means to grab a hold and lay a hold of God. And that's exactly what Habakkuk's doing. He doesn't throw up his hands and go, well, I quit. And remember, a couple prophets were threatening to do that. Elijah threatened to quit on God in his ministry after he went up to Mount Carmel called down fire from heaven, thought that there would be this great revival and it would turn out just the opposite of what he expected. He had to run for his life. And so he sits down in his self-pity and goes, God, I'm done. I, I quit being your prophet. And God had to sort of like encourage him to get back in there. Jeremiah did the same thing. In fact, Jeremiah is a contemporary of Habakkuk who was prophesying to the people of Judah. And God would use him to give sort of like... Uh, lessons. And so one day God said to, Habakkuk, or to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, take this clay pot, go out and break it in front of all the leaders of Israel. Tell them that's exactly what I'm getting ready to do with, with them because of their sin and rebellion against me. And when Jeremiah did it, they, they basically accused him of sedition. They threw him into prison and the locks and all that. And he sat there. And he said, God, I curse the day I was born. That's what Jeremiah said. I curse the day I was born. I wish I would have never been born. Because things certainly aren't turning out the way I want them to. Sometimes that's the way it is. Now Habakkuk here though, that's what he's doing. Because we, we all know that God sees more than we see. He knows more than we know. He takes into consideration things we could never take into consideration. So in our minds, we understand, God, I know you're always right, and this maybe is stupid of me to argue with you, but this is the way I'm feeling right now, because I don't understand what you're doing. God, can I tell you, God's okay with that. In fact, God is more okay with that 
than when we put on a front, put on happy face, and pretend like everything's okay and that we don't have a problem with what's going on. God doesn't like that. God wants that. I think that's one of the reasons why David, with all of his hang-ups and problems, was called a man after God's own heart. Because David was always honest before God. If he had a problem with God, he told him. I think too often, we're afraid to wrestle with God. We're afraid to question Him. We're, because it's almost like, well, I'm just going to let go. I'm just going to quit. And God's like, no, grab a hold of me and let's do this thing. Because it's through wrestling with God that we again can develop that high altitude faith. Don't be afraid to wrestle with God over things. You may be in a situation right now where that's exactly what you're doing. You're wrestling with God over things. That's okay. Look at what happened to Jacob. Grab a hold of God and wrestle with him for a while. You actually see that it will spiritually benefit you rather than pretending like everything's okay. I almost, wouldn't it be refreshing sometime to go up to a fellow Christian and say, hey, how you doing? And they go, I'm not doing good at all. I'm mad at God right now. I'll be honest with you. If if I got that response from some Christian, I'd be like, hallelujah. I finally found a Christian that's actually willing to be honest with me about something. And say, yeah, everything's okay when everything's really not okay. But that's the way we are with each other. And that's the way sometimes we are with God. God appreciates our honesty. Now, again, Honesty about God first. Worship God first. Then honest with God. And then finally, notice what Habakkuk does in chapter 2, verse 1. The prophet stands at his post. The prophet worships the eternal Holy One. He wrestles with the Lord over his decision. But then he stands at his post. I will stand at my watch post. I will remain stationed on the city wall. I will keep watching so I can see what he says to me and can know how I should answer when he counters my argument. To stand at our watch post is to remain on duty at our assigned post of responsibility. That's what we need to do as Christians when we are wrestling with God over things and and working through things with God. We need to go back to our calling and our post of responsibility and just keep doing what we're doing and not pull away and not pull back. For instance, let me use me as an example. If I'm going through something like this, What do I need to keep doing? I need to keep pastoring. I need to keep teaching the word. I need to keep ministering. That's my post. That's my area of responsibility. That's my watch post. If Nicole was doing, going through this, what would she need to do? She needs to continue to be our worship leader. In other words, what God is saying is you need to find out, first of all, what is your watch post? Because here's part of the problem is many Christians don't know what is my responsibility in the body. What is my watch? What am I supposed to be doing? Because God calls us to do that while we are waiting on him. Because there's a discipline then that gets built into our life that even though I don't have all the answers, even though God hasn't responded yet, even though I'm still working through some things with God and wrestling with God, what's God call me back to? My watch post. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do until I get an answer. Notice Habakkuk didn't say, well, I'll probably never understand it, so I just quit. Or take this, 
don't worry, be happy. That wasn't his response either. Or, well, maybe God will answer me, maybe he won't. No, he expected it. And notice the Bible says he not only went to his watch post, he remained stationed there. It means he just kept doing what he knew God had called him to do. That's so important. See, so often, when we're struggling, we pull out of our watch post. Then where are you? Because it's actually in the watch post and going through that discipline of, of doing what is our responsibility to do that it's building something in us instead of disengaging. So many Christians, when they begin to struggle, want to disengage. No. Again, remember, Habakkuk gives us a blueprint to follow Whenever we are faced with a decision by God that bewilders and astonishes and perplexes us. And then I love this next phrase in verse 1. I will keep watching so I can see what he says to me. I love that. Can I tell you, that should be our response to a lot of stuff in life. Like when someone asks me, well, pastor, what are your plans once we get in the building? You know, my my response to that is, I'm just going to keep looking and see what he says to me. I don't know. Well, pastor, what about this? I don't know. I'm just going to keep looking until he answers me. That's an okay response. We don't always have the answer. Maybe we're still looking for an answer. And that was Habakkuk. God, I'm just going to keep watching. you. Now, he expected and anticipated an answer. And can I tell you, the cool thing is, we're going to see beginning next week, God answers him. And gives him a great message of hope and encouragement. But guess what? Just like last week, we're not going to end with that. We're ending with he's still waiting on God. And why is that good to end here tonight? Although I'm not ready to end, so hang in there with me. It's good to end there because, again, just like sometimes we're just left scratching our head, sometimes we're just left waiting. That's where we are in life right now. We're just waiting on an answer from God. I love that phrase, though. I think that should be our response a lot of times in life. As a follower of God, I'm just going to keep watching so I can see what he says to me. And then notice the last phrase. And this is actually, this is very difficult in the Hebrew. And I know there's different translations for this, but let me tell you what I think this is saying here at the end of verse 1 of chapter 2. It almost sounds like Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to see what he says to me so that I can know how I should answer him when he counters my argument, meaning God. But I don't take it that way at all. If you look at the language and you study this out, and I would encourage you to do so, and then even compare Habakkuk with Jeremiah, I think what Habakkuk is saying is God Please give me the words to say, because I know I'm your mouthpiece. I know I'm your spokesman. I know I'm your prophet to your people. And I know, just like with Jeremiah, they're going to they're gonna challenge me when I tell them the Babylonians are coming to judge us. I know they're not going to just sit there and take it. So how do I say what you're calling me to say? And how do I counter them when they challenge this with me? Give me the words, God, to say. I think that's what he's saying here at the end of verse 1. 
Not only give me greater insight and understanding, but give me the very words to say to your people because I still want to be a faithful prophet and spokesperson to your people. But until you give me that answer, I am going to stand at my watch post. And I'm just going to keep looking. And I'm just going to keep waiting and going through the discipline of doing the things that you've called me to do until you answer me. I think, again, if I can close with this thought. So often as Christians, not only are we hesitant to wrestle with God because somehow we think that's not spiritual, but somehow, too, I think we have gotten so intimidated over the years and away from biblical teaching to think that somehow we as Christians always need to have the answers. That every time somebody asks us a question or, or every time something comes up in my life, if I don't have an answer for it, then... I must be in a really bad place. Or I must be a terrible Christian. No. Remember, who is this? This is the prophet of God. There was nobody closer to God than Habakkuk at this time in history. He didn't have all the answers. But here's the thing. He knew where to look for the answer. He looked to God. And he just said, I'm just going to keep doing what God's called me to do until I receive the answer from God. I'll leave you with one more thing. One of my mentors, a great man of God, had at least four or five earned doctorate degrees. I mean, this guy was brilliant. And yet, one day he and I were just having a private conversation In fact, I had the privilege of even having him on my ordination council. And he was saying to me, he said, Jeff, let me tell you. He said, going on for higher degrees and getting all these degrees and stuff, he said, it's not that just because you get all these higher degrees that that means you've got all the answers in any of these fields. He said, "I, I just want to set the record straight as maybe you pursue higher degrees in your life. You'll never have all the answers in all these fields of expertise. I don't have the answers. He said, but what my degree in these fields as I got higher taught me to do is to go, is to know where to look for the answers. He said, that's what these degrees taught me. I know not everything about everything, but I know if I need to find an answer, I know where I need to go for it. That was encouraging to me. Because especially as a young man in my 20s, just starting out in ministry, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I always thought, I need to have an answer for everybody about everything. And it was almost like, that was a settling thing for me. Like here was a brilliant man who had been a Christian way longer than me, and been in the ministry way longer than me, and yet he said, Jeff, I don't have all the answers, but I know where to go to look for them. Or I know who to go to, to find them. And that's the most important thing. You and I will never have all the answers. Either for our own lives or for the questions that other people have. But what we can respond with is the same thing that Habakkuk responded with. I'll just keep at my watch post and I will keep watching so I can see what he says to me. Let's pray. God, thank you that through this prophet. Lord, each of us, thousands upon thousands of years later, are given a blueprint of what to do when life is perplexing, 
when it doesn't make sense, when everything seems upside down and is not going our way, whenever your means and methods and your will and your way just seem so bewildering and astonishing to us, we have learned it always comes back that we've got to start with worship. We've got to affirm who you are and be honest about you, God. But then, God, we've learned tonight that it's okay to be honest with you. It's okay to wrestle with you and to question the things that you're doing because if that's what our heart is really filled with, then, God, you want us to be honest with you. Not put on a nice face whenever internally that's not where we're really at. And then, God, you tell us to climb back up and do our watch post. Keep doing the things that you've called us to do. And keep watching with the anticipation and expectation that you will respond to us if we are faithful to the thing that you've called us to. It might take a while. The answer might not come as quickly or your response as quickly as we would like. But it will come if we climb up into our watch post and keep looking to you for the answer. God, help us to incorporate these very important life principles into our life. Because each of us will be faced one day with bewildering, astonishing, and perplexing circumstances in our life. And where will we go if we have no spiritual foundation from which to navigate those? God, as you say again at the end of this great book, the faith that you want to build in us is a faith that can navigate the rugged terrain. God, use this study of Habakkuk to help us have that kind of high-altitude faith. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope you'll come back again next week.